those out. We're going to be in John chapter 16 today. Uh, we are in a series called uh, The Gospel of John, A Journey Through the Gospel of John. And uh, this is our 34th week in that series. And we're in chapter 16, beginning in verse 5. Uh, there's also an outline in your program if you want to follow along there. Our sermon is entitled, You Need Some Help. You ever say that to anybody? You need some help. You need some help. How about uh, the words to this song? Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help, help me if you can. I'm feeling down and I do appreciate you being around. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please help me? Now, if the story of the Beatles teaches us anything, it's that fame changes people. The Fab Four benefited from being almost entirely unknown during their formative years, which would have made their explosive rise to fame in 1963 and 64 even more of a, a shock to the system. Beatlemania made privacy impossible, whether it was by fans or photographers. The Beatles were constantly followed, and it wasn't long before they began to struggle. John Lennon was especially uncomfortable in the limelight. By 1965, the Beatles had broken into America and were well on their way to being the biggest band in the world. But with more fame came much more anxiety. When help came out, I was actually crying out for help, Lennon said in an interview. Most people think it's just a fast rock and roll song. I didn't realize it at the time. I really just wrote the song because I was commissioned to write it for the movie, but later I knew I was really crying out for help. What an interesting comment. Sadly, the help that Lennon found came in the form of a, a range of new influences. Marijuana, LSD, Eastern mystical religions. Help was clearly a watershed moment because by the end of 1965, everything had changed. That same year, the Beatles stopped touring for good. And less than five years later, the Beatles had broken up. And by 1980, John Lennon was tragically shot and killed outside his apartment in New York City. I don't know that John Lennon ever found the help that he cried out for. He certainly never turned to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to contrast that story of John Lennon with uh, the story of a woman that I knew many years ago. Her name was Bernice, and she was a, a lovely woman in a church that I served. And after experiencing some severe headaches, she, of course, sought help from medical doctors. She soon learned that she had an inoperable brain tumor and that no real help was available from the medical establishment. She knew for almost a year that unless the Lord intervened, the cancer in her brain would kill her. But because of her faith in Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in her life, that year gave her time for wonderful interactions 
with her family and her friends. Those close to her had the opportunity to express their love for her, and the dying woman had the privilege of passing on her godly wisdom to others. The one who needed help became the one who offered help. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help. Well, in John chapter 16, Jesus knows that he will die in less than 24 hours. When his disciples are faced with that reality, they become troubled. They are afraid. They are filled with sorrow. And Jesus responds to each of their concerns by talking about the coming Holy Spirit. I want to invite you to read our text together with me. The words are on the screen. These are recorded by the Apostle John, the words of our Lord Jesus. So let's read them together, beginning in verse 5. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Amen. The words of the Lord. Now, any discussion regarding the Holy Spirit has a certain air of mystery to it, doesn't it? After all, you might remember, we talked about this way back in chapter 3, I think it was, that Jesus himself compared the Spirit to wind. You don't know where it comes from, where it's going. Now, in our text today, we're going to examine some of the key functions of of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christ follower so that we might experience real help and freedom through the Spirit's presence in our lives. And the first function of the Holy Spirit that we want to consider is that he provides help. He provides help. In verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now that word that Jesus starts with there, nevertheless, is used, we might say, as a contrast or a, an antithesis to what the disciples are feeling. 
They're afraid. They're sorrowful. They're anxious over the idea of Jesus leaving them. And so Jesus says something to get their attention. He says, I tell you the truth. Now, Jesus always told the truth. But it's as if he's saying to the guys, listen up. Listen up, guys. This is super important. I want you to hear this. And then what he says next is, is a bit shocking. He says to them, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now, that word advantage means useful profitable, beneficial. Now, there is no way that the disciples were thinking that it was a good thing that Jesus was about to leave them. How could it be to their advantage that Jesus was going away? Of what benefit could it possibly be to them for Jesus to be gone from their presence? And so Jesus tells them why his departure would be profitable for them. He says, for I do not go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. I want you to see that three times Jesus uses the word go to help these disciples understand that he certainly was about to leave them. But it would be to their advantage because then the helper could arrive. His going is essential to the Spirit's coming. Jesus said, I'll send him to you. To send means to dispatch, to, to thrust out. Now, we talked a bit last week about this term, the helper, that word that is translated helper, and it really doesn't have a direct equivalent in English. The, the original word is the word paraclete, which means literally one who's called alongside of another person to offer assistance. For, for example, a, a paramedic. A paramedic is someone who comes alongside a person to offer medical assistance. Or last Sunday I mentioned the example of a personal trainer, somebody there to help you. The word could be translated counselor, comforter, helper, supporter, advocate, ally, or even friend. But it's the origin of the word that's really interesting to me. It comes from uh, the, the terminology of ancient Greek warriors. And those Greek soldiers would go into battle in pairs so that when the enemy attacked, they could draw together back to back, keeping, covering one another's blind side. And one's battle partner was called their paraclete, their helper. Friends, I want you to think about this for our lives. The Holy Spirit is our battle partner who covers our blind side, who fights for our well-being. He is our advocate. He confounds our adversary. He defeats the enemy of our souls. He is our comforter. He alone makes us strong for battle. For the follower of Jesus Christ, he is the ever-present helper. Now, while the Holy Spirit can certainly be of great help and comfort to those of us who believe and place our trust in Jesus, he has a second function or role in our lives as we pursue freedom and in Christ. And that is, not only is he the helper, but the Holy Spirit provides conviction. 
conviction. In verses 8 through 11, Jesus identifies three distinct ways in which the Holy Spirit performs this work. The first thing he does is he convicts the world of sin. You know, he can make any of us feel guilty. And he pushes believers and unbelievers alike toward the cross so that we might find Jesus. You know, those of us that follow Jesus often be, need to be reminded of Jesus on the cross. Because when we remember that, it brings refreshment. It's difficult to maintain one's course with evil pushing in in all directions, isn't it? And so we need to make those corrections regularly. And so the Holy Spirit confronts the, the, the believer in order to help them focus or refocus on Jesus. But the Holy Spirit also confronts the sinner in order that he or she might be saved. You see, in order to be saved, we must first be convicted of our sin, right? And then recognizing brokenness, we have to seek out the Lord Jesus in obedience in order to receive his mercy and his salvation. And all of that comes through the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin. Last week we talked about the idea that the world, that word world represents the, the scheme or the order of things in this world. And who is the ruler of this world? But Satan himself. And so we need the Holy Spirit's help and awareness in that battle. Next we see that he convicts the world of righteousness. Righteousness only comes from the Father. He is the source of everything that is true and right. There's nothing true and right apart from God himself. And that righteousness flows through his Son to us in the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus provides the only way that we can ever be reconciled, balanced out, made right with God. The only way that we can be found righteous in the eyes of God is through the blood of Jesus. Without his death and his resurrection, mankind would be doomed to eternal separation and death apart from God. But true Christ followers base their entire faith on this very truth. And the Holy Spirit's role is to convict and convince those outside of Christ of this vital truth. And so he convicts the world of sin, he convicts the world of righteousness, and then finally, he convicts the world of judgment. Now, Jesus has already judged Satan. Satan has already lost. He just doesn't recognize that. Jesus is already victorious. And if we're on team Jesus, we're already on the winning team. The Holy Spirit now in turn convicts the world and attempts to save those who are still lost. Lost in their arrogance or their ignorance or their denial. You see, he desires that those who are unsaved would run as fast as they can towards Jesus and the cross so that they might be saved by faith through God's gospel plan. <clears throat> when I first began 
Bible college many years ago. I was serving in a small church on the outskirts of Portland. Now, I knew Jesus. I knew the Bible. I, I think I knew what was at stake. And I was determined to sell Jesus, if you will, to anyone who would listen. Now, a few months into my ministry in that little church, a young couple began to attend the church. And I was determined to win them to Team Jesus. And so I met with them numerous times, seeking to convince and to convict and to sell them the truth of Jesus. And in time, I convinced this young couple that they needed to be baptized into Christ. And they were. But then, I never saw them again. They got baptized and they never, ever came back. And that upset me. I'd worked hard to get those people to make a commitment to Christ and then they just walked away. That shouldn't have happened. But then, my mentor, the bivocational pastor of that little church, reminded me of this passage this verse in verse 8, and when he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then I realized why I'd failed. You see, it had been all about me up to that point. I was the one trying to do the convincing I didn't need the Spirit's help. I could do it all myself. I wasn't winning them to Christ. I was winning a personal achievement for me. And that incident helped me to realize what the Spirit's job is. Friends, it is up to us absolutely to share the good news. But it is the role of the Holy Spirit to do the convicting. Convicting the lost is not our job. Judging unbelievers, condemning those who object to Jesus or reject Jesus, protecting the truth, winning, none of that is our job. We are called to simply share the good news of Jesus and what he has done for us and then wait on his spirit to do the deeper work. We have a job, absolutely, and that is to tell people about Jesus, but we're not doing it alone. Jesus says that the spirit is our helper. So the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He convicts us in our sinfulness, and then finally, Number three, the Holy Spirit provides us guidance. Guidance. In verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. All the truth. He will declare to you the things that are to come. I love that phrase. He will guide you into all the truth. Think about it for a moment. A guide means that there is a journey. You see, we are on our way into all truth. We haven't arrived yet. 
We're not there yet. We might think of our journey towards all truth as a, a road in which we are traveling, not a parking lot where we've already arrived. The great Norwegian explorer, Roald Amundsen, was the first to discover the magnetic meridian of the North Pole and to discover the South Pole. On one of his trips, Amundsen took a, a homing pigeon with him. And when he had finally reached the top of the world, he opened the bird's cage and he set it free. And so imagine the delight of Amundsen's wife all the way back in Norway when one day she looked up from the doorway of her home and she saw that pigeon circling in the sky above. And she exclaimed, he's alive. My husband is still alive. Well, so it was when Jesus left his disciples. He was gone. But the disciples clung to the promise that he made. The promise to send them help. For I do not go away if I do not go away. The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will. I will send him to you. What joy then when that dove-like Holy Spirit descended on the day of Pentecost. The disciples had with them the continual reminder that Jesus was alive and victorious at the right hand of the Father. You see, friends, this continues to be the Spirit's message as he seeks to guide us today as well. You know, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, does not speak on his own as an as an individual or as a separate entity. He speaks for the Father. By the way, this means that the Holy Spirit will never, ever bring a message, an inclination, a feeling, or a thought that is contrary to God's already revealed word. The Holy Spirit will never ever contradict the Father or the Son. And friends, this is true even and despite at times our desire for him to do so. He is guiding us into all truth. Not into our favorite opinions or our personal preferences or our felt needs. That's not the role of the Spirit. Well, the last thing that John tells us that the Holy Spirit does is really the best thing that he does. And that is that he will glorify Christ. And here, really, we find the we could say it's the, the third freedom that the Holy Spirit produces. He empowers our lives and we are free to move forward spiritually. It's kind of like a, a hiker climbing up a steep trail. And on, when you're on that trail, you, you might feel like quitting, going back down the hill. We can at times get distracted or even lost on the trail. 
But as our guide, the Holy Spirit helps us to stay on the trail. He gives us water when we're thirsty, rest when we're tired, a kick in the pants when we grow lazy, words of encouragement when we feel like quitting. And most importantly, he keeps us focused on the end of the journey, the peak, the view, the glory of God that is slowly being revealed to his children. He will glorify the Father. And he will bring us into that glory, into that experience. Friends, the spiritual life of following Jesus is often an uphill climb. It's not always an easy stroll through the park. But it is a lifelong journey, a journey of transformation where we are changed over time into the people who love God with our whole hearts, who love other people sacrificially. And you know, sometimes that trail, it looks dangerous. Sometimes when we face challenges that threaten to overwhelm us, the trail might look out downright impossible. Sometimes we get lost or we defiantly sit down and refuse to go any further. Sadly, some people even find the road too difficult and they quit, they turn away, they go back down the hill. And yet, friends, no matter what we encounter along this incredible lifelong trail, our guide is always there with us, offering us everything we need to take sometimes just the next step. Sometimes that's all we can think of, just one more step, one more step. And he's there to help us. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom to move forward spiritually because he is our guide. More than 37,000 runners competed in the 2012 London Marathon. Wilson Kipsang from Kenya won the race in an impressive two hours and four minutes. Simone Clark, though, she took more than three times as long. But her finish may be more impressive. Simone was a 39-year-old epileptic woman. She suffered about four seizures a day. And she needed someone willing to train and run with her. And so her friend, Tally Hall, agreed to run the marathon with her and help her if she had a seizure while running. But none of their training runs prepared them for what was to come. On that beautiful spring morning of the London Marathon, Simone and Tally joined tens of thousands of others at the starting point, and they took off when the gun was shot. For the first seven miles, 
everything went really well. But it was at mile eight that perhaps some pain from the run, who knows, something triggered Simone's first seizure. But Tally was there and she caught Simone and helped her safely to the ground. Simone was completely unconscious for 30 seconds before Tally could rouse her. And then, remarkably, Simone woke up, got up, and started running again. And now, over the next 18 miles, Simone had 19 more seizures. 19! And each time, collapsing, losing consciousness for 30 seconds or more. And each time, Tally would catch her and ease her to the ground and protect her until she regained consciousness. And each time, Tally helped Simone up and Simone began to run again. By the time we got to 15 miles, Simone said afterward, I was in tears because I was so annoyed that we'd lost the pace. But by that stage, I'd already had lots of seizures and I was still standing, so I thought, forget it. I'm just going to finish the race. And Simone and Tally crossed the finish line in six and a half hours. Now, considering the day, I think it was a time that perhaps even the Kenyans would have been proud of. Well, brothers and sisters, with our weaknesses, our frailties, we all need the support of an encouraging faith community that will run beside us during the lifelong journey. But I think this story also beautifully illustrates the presence of the Holy Spirit, the one called to run beside us, our paraclete, our helper, our guide. The Holy Spirit brings freedom. The freedom to experience salvation. The freedom to find security with God. The freedom to move forward spiritually. The freedom to effectively serve Him in many different ways. And so my prayer today is that each of us would find the strength for the journey as He helps and as he guides us along the way.